Hey, Champagne Sharks, how's it going? This is Trevor. Um, if you want to get merchandise, I've been talking about it for a while, but people have been wanting uh, the merchandise and they forgot the address. Go to redbubble.com and enter T Bilzy, T as in Tom, B as in boy, I L Z as in zebra, I E. Enter Champagne Sharks and you'll you'll find the merchandise, you'll find the, the store and all the good stuff. Or you can email us at champagnesharks at gmail.com and we'll reply with the link to the store what else go to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks become a member become a get access to the discord voice and chat server get access to all the bonus episodes get access to all the movie night and book night discussion groups because we have those where we read a book or watch a movie and we talk about it record it uh, chop it up after and build so yeah pretty good stuff only five dollars a month and i think that's everything oh also we had for like um, premium subscribers and stuff. We had like an extra tier of $10. And one of the things that we offered was if you signed up, you get a chance to get a shout out. But some people, you know, said like my boss listens to the show. I don't want to be shouted out. And so when we shouted people out, some people weren't digging it. So what we're going to do is if you want to be shouted out, and you did the $10 donation, email us at champagnesharks at gmail.com because I don't want to shout out anyone who turns out doesn't want to be shouted out. All right. And with that, without further ado, we have a returning guest, Tori Russell. And Tori recorded a great episode with us. It was, we were really excited about it. And lo and behold, the episode was lost. Tori's back with us to give it a second uh, try. How's it going, man? Um, it's going well. Um, the State Department did a great job with the last interview. <laughs> yeah, the powers that be didn't want it to get out, man. I think I think the Angela Davis part really uh <laughs> took it over the top. Yeah, but we're gonna give her another try, man. Let's see what let's see what happens. Right, right, right. We're coming for you in a little bit. But you know what? Just break down um who you are and your whole history in this in this space. You know, from the time of Mike Brown to now, I think it's the best place to start. Yeah, so you know, um, right now I would call myself an organizer, a movement builder. Um, but going back to like Mike Brown, uh, that's not really who I was. Um, you know, I was uh, probably like most people in the country. You know, I came out, I protested, um, and you know, that's all I did uh, up until that point. But I think Mike Brown for me changed me. I, I felt like what happened to Trayvon Martin was tragic. I felt like, it, you know, some bullshit. But, you know, I, I made that, that comment like probably most of us did. Probably even you, Trevor. It's like, if that shit ever happened where I'm at, you know, we're going to do something different. And so on August 9th of 2014, Mark Brown was shot and killed. And I had to leave the live by those words that die for mm-hmm. um, So I went to Ferguson PD um, and I've been organizing ever since. And did you know Mike Brown at all, like, um, even by face or name before? Because I don't know how big uh, Ferguson is or um, how people kind of know each other. Yeah, so uh, St. Louis is the city. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's the city part, you know, from the west side. Shout out to the west side. But Ferguson is like a suburb. It's really like the place that you go to get away from um, the hood. And so... Ferguson is like 21,000 people. St. Louis City is like over 300,000. You know, it ain't quite New York or so. <laughs> but it's a, it's, it's a city nonetheless. I didn't know Mike Brown. I didn't know his father. Um, his father is also from the West Side. But, you know, no encounters. Didn't know who he was. Uh, really, I just seen a, you know, I'm a coach. You know, I coach football, and basketball, and baseball. So I saw a, a six foot four, two hundred and ninety pound kid laying on the pavement. Um and I honestly was afraid that that was either one of my kids or a kid's future, uh, being shot down and killed in the street. So uh, for me I didn't have to know him. It just felt like that could be me laying dead in the street. Yeah, I mean, just being a basic human, you shouldn't have to know someone to feel um, empathy for them. But I mean, the way people keep playing these bodies getting shot all the time. And it's like, I feel like it's like snuff films, man. Like, I feel like there is a real lack of empathy or inability to kind of empathize with uh, black lives. And that's one of the things that disappoints me most about the Black Lives Matter thing is that it's actually a really good slogan. And I think it really speaks 
to part of the problem, but right now it's totally associated with an organization that I think has kind has kind of squandered their mission or or ruin or or misused uh, the moment, and that's one of the things that I wanted to lead off with because uh, you've had personal um, experience uh, with them, and I know it sucks we have to like go through the whole thing over again. But what was your experience with the process testing from the time of the movement happened to the time the cameras left? Um, you know, so Ferguson, you know, being a little small place, a little small town outside of St. Louis City, it took, you know, it took a couple of days for it to really kick off. I think we seen it on our timeline before we saw it on national and international news and it became like that kind of story. Um, but the cameras came pretty early. You know, it's really organic really what it was you know it was um, black people um, not trained organizers not none of that it was just black people mad fed up with the system um seeing the black boy get killed um been victims of not only police brutality but the system at large and we went outside and tried to do something about it you know from there you know the glitz the glamour the you know the interviews and all those things uh kind of sway people distract people or people either come into who they're supposed to be and so uh really for me it's kind of different uh, in Ferguson it wasn't really about uh, creating a hashtag um, or really even thinking about how this affects uh, any kind of structural thing it was started off with justice and got to systematic um, and we didn't care how it looked or how it you know appeared on your TV we wanted justice and we wanted freedom I think the movement once it you know once people start tweeting about it, um, you know, start raising money about it. Uh, I think it start changing. One one thing that seemed to happen, you know, for me from the outside looking in was it seemed like a lot of people weren't really into that online activism, especially back then. A lot of people weren't really on on Twitter like that. I feel like most people back back then were really kind of on. If they're on social media, they're on like Facebook and stuff. One thing I, I I realized when when Darren Seals joined Twitter, he joined Twitter later on after like um, Black Lives Matter and D Ray and everybody moved on. And he said something that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, Darren Seals, for people who don't know, um, he was one of the active activists. Uh, for people who are listening, he was one of the activists from Ferguson who ended up being found um, dead in a, in a burning car, right, and shot. Yeah. Yeah. Very tragic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean. But but one thing one thing he said. Uh, we're we're going to get back to Darren Seals. But one thing he said when he when he joined Twitter was he had no idea that there was this alternate reality where these guys were strutting around as the hero, the heroes of the movement. And he said like, he was like, really shocked because he said, like, me and none of my peoples are on Twitter like that. So we didn't know that there was this space where they just existed as like heroes of the movement. Like, like you know, um, he kind of made it seem like he thought everyone just moved on and was doing something else. And he was really um, irate. And I want to kind of talk to you about that, about how online savvy um, into hashtags like you people were and what you think about that aspect of organizing because it seems it seems to me and correct me if i'm wrong please it seems to me like those guys weren't really doing the work but they did have one thing they knew how to do and that's how to use the internet and weaponize it and work social work social media yeah i i I think you know like you know you know we just gotta make it plain you know hats off to you know d-ray and other people like that who were just Twitter savvy. You know, they were social media savvy um, to uh, tell the story. I think the story is needed to be told in real time, but the authenticity of the story told by them um, was inaccurate. And I think it was intentionally inaccurate because they had to interject themselves and others in places and things that they had, you know, no influence, no organizing in. And so, uh, what happens when the historian that goes to the masses of people is a liar or a fraud? Um, then the movement is intentionally made into this, you know, unauthentic thing. I think that's, uh, unfortunately, that's where, that's why we are where we are. Yeah. You know, you can get in the street and there's something. If somebody report on it, you know, it's almost like, you know, if a tree falls in the middle of a forest, do it make a sound? I don't know if it makes a sound, but I know if it hits your house, you'll feel it. And so I mm-hmm. think the protest was meant to hit your house and dismantle and disrupt. The Twitter thing is, you know, up in the earth. Uh, I just think it's a safe place that ain't really going to dismantle white supremacy. And I think we're seeing that six years later. Yeah, yeah. It's like... Thing ain't, it ain't it ain't that and it ain't never going to be that. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's like, I think it could be a useful thing, but it shouldn't be the be-all, end-all, like... 
Actually, I'm not even sure if it could be a useful thing because I have not seen anyone maintain it in a useful way for long, even if it's... Yeah, I haven't seen it do nothing that it says it's supposed to do. I see Me Too um, can do a couple things, but, you know, rape still exists. Yeah. Bill uh, Bill Burr ain't canceled. So, I mean, and Dave Chappelle, I think he just got a you know Oscar or Emmy nomination. So it's like... Yeah, it's not canceling anybody. Um, and, and, and the things don't really kind of stay, stay on because everybody threw away Me Too when it was time to endorse Joe Biden. Like all those people who were saying everything's unforgivable, um, they needed Joe Biden to run. They, they were like, you know what? Maybe um, you don't need to believe all women. So yeah, I think the internet's a place to posture a lot. And I was a big believer in the power of uh, the internet in movements, but I, I'm not so sure myself either anymore I, I think it could be i think it could uh i think the thing about it to me you know we def- we describe it as the air like the media it's the air it's not the ground um so you know your thing is to try to grab as many people out of the air out of the matrix and bring them to the ground or the underground so they can actually get dirty you know and actually do some things that's tangible some you know hashtags don't it you know hashtags don't build housing uh, for poor people it don't heal you when you sick and it damn sure don't block bullets from police or white terrorists. And so I don't really know what it could do other than connect people. But if you're not connecting to actually change the world, um, then you just become a little blip in the other rhythm. I think it could work to connect people and I think it could work to recruit people, but you're not meant to stay there. You're meant to, like you said, bring them to the ground. You're not meant to just stay in the air or in the ether. And some people, they want to make the actual struggle in the air they want to make the struggle online and just tweet all day and it's like i think there's a role for communicators but they should just be that like um communicators they should be in service to the people on the ground they shouldn't try to replace the people on the ground and i think that's kind of the problem that they try to act actively replace like one of the common phrases that i keep hearing all the time that happens um with these people is they say um you know whenever you get mad at how they're slandering black men or pandering to democrats or trying to get jobs and stuff and you complain about that you gotta sell black people out they'll be like uh we're on the front lines for you you know uh we're the ones keep getting on the front lines and my first thing is what did y'all do with that besides get yourself jobs you know that we should be so grateful because uh, that's all I've ever seen any of them actually do. And number two, they're erasing people like you, Edward Crawford, Darren Seals, who were already on the ground. They make it seem like no one, everyone was just twiddling their thumbs. They'll be like, you know, three queer black women uh, started BLM and got on the front lines for you. Like, y'all weren't already there. And like you point out, you guys had queer black women with you as well. You guys had uh, straight black women, uh, straight black men. You had, you had everything. Like, it wasn't like you were just sitting around waiting for them for them to show up. Yeah, we, it was already there. So, you know, uh, without trying to check a box, the box was checked, you know, it, you know, only a box need to be checked when they came. And so, uh, I mean, it's just a fallacy. You know, Black Lives Matter was not created by three queer black women. Um, one of them are not even queer. Um, another one had a baby. I'm not saying that that don't make you queer. Um, it, it just, it might, I don't know. I, I think those are the things that, that, that they have to define for themselves. But if you started off the basis of three queer black women starting a the movement, then you basing your thing on a lie. You know what I'm saying? Like if all three of y'all ain't queer, then what is this? You know, if all if all three of y'all not dating black people in a relationship with black people, how pro black is your move? You know what I'm saying? If all of y'all was trained by white people or trained in white institutions, then what does that mean? You know, and so those are the things that I kind of question. When I saw them, I was like, okay, they black. I ain't really care about none of that. More and more time came on that black thing became the secondary thing to LGBTQ rights, to white, white based women's rights. Um, a lot of ally talk, too. A lot of ally talk, a lot of solidarity talk. Um, they talked about access and influence. Um, Ferguson talked about power. And so I think that's that's why the movement in other places kind of respond differently when we show up on the scene. Yeah, and that's something that they do, too, a lot, is that they do straight up say, they straight up say a lot of the times that they um, want representation, that they want inclusion. Those buzzwords at the end of the day kind of say, like, seat at the table, like, give us a spot, you know, and it's, and it's different. Than, than power power doesn't really enter really even the discourse and i think that kind of makes the people that they're, tr- that they're trying to court feel safe i i think i think the people who they're trying to make, make safe kind of instructs them of how the movement should look and they yep. inform them how it should look they call they, they they you know they curated and cultivated the movement not for black people 
Um, not for black people to live, just around black male deaths. Occasionally a black woman is sprinkled in. Occasionally a black trans woman or trans person is sprinkled in. Um, but nothing for the living black lives and nothing for a holistic approach. It's, you know, it's, it's not intergenerational. You know, uh, it's youth concentrated as if our elders just got old and got passive. <laughs> you know, they just became old punks after a while. And then it's not really including everybody. You know, it's a certain kind of black man. You know, if I'm looking at Black Lives Matter, uh, when I was there at the table, it was me and two other cis hetero black men. All three of us no longer at that table. I don't even know who there. Uh, and actually, back up on that, because that's one thing I think people would find interesting is that you actually were there when it started. Like, like it wasn't even actually like a full-fledged organization yet. It was a website with probably 100, maybe 200 people involved in the organization. Um, they asked us to come to Ferguson. We we asked them, come to Ferguson for what? And they said, you know, there's just black people. And they had that black talk. We came, we built. Um, by the time they got here, all the tear gas and tanks were gone, really. And uh, they just marched. And from there, um, you know, Patrice and, and Alicia kind of cultivated a story that's not really authentic. Um, they wasn't here for this the Ferguson shit that we all saw. They was here for a march. Um, they was here for some trainings. Um, not to knock the rank and file, I think they had to cultivate a, a narrative. But uh, from that point on, when it really got hot, I seen some of those Black Lives Matter national people. I seen them run, run when the tear gas came. I seen them slide up on the cars. I seen them run back to their hotel and never come back outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's different where I'm from. We don't even have that choice. And it's like people like Edward uh, Crawford, he was the guy in in the iconic picture from Ferguson uh, throwing back the tear gas and everything. You know what I didn't notice until you brought it up last interview? All the times I saw that picture, I never noticed the bag of chips. When you said the bag of chips, <laughs> I was like, bag of chips? And then I, I looked and sure enough, <laughs> there was a bag of chips. That's I saw it. So to me, it was like, I saw that and then I saw that American flag shirt. It was like the perfect, it was to me, it's like the most St. Louis thing Ever, you know what I'm saying? Yes. And I think that's that's like the epitome of what the Fer- Ferguson protests or the Ferguson movement was. It's, it's, it's the people that you would not think protesting, the people that you would not think march or be in the street and be talking about some black things, probably not with the same verbiage, you know. They don't they don't call they're not gonna call somebody evicting them to build a condo where they live. They might not call that gentrification of colonialism in 2014, but they knew they was fucked up. And so I think like people like Skeeter, or you know how the world know Edward Crawford is 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 Skeeter epitomized black resistance uh, from the working class level. But you know it's you know it's crazy with uh, with him though is that he that picture people like him were what I saw when. It kicked off. That's all I saw. And at some point, like you talk about gentrification, but those guys kind of gentrified the actual protest in a way. Like like they, they showed up and basically you can call it a type of gentrification. They became the face of it. That picture was iconic. But over the years, I feel like when people talk about that era, when people flash back to it, when you do stories on it, that picture has gradually kind of, I feel like, faded some from the mainstream mainstream memory so it's kind of like imagery wise but also physical people a lot of he's physically gone as well he's he's not here anymore yeah he was also killed shot in the car just like darren seals you know and there were more than those two as well there were some other ones that donye jones of ferguson protesters son was found mysteriously hung in the backyard bassam massery they said he overdosed on the bus you know it's you know everybody died mysteriously uh, taken away too young. Uh, you know, I say white supremacy or the system killed them no matter what. Um, even if it's drugs or suicide or actually being killed by the state, um, people are hurting, people are grieving. Um, and that pressure from standing up, uh, the system don't, they don't quit. They don't forgive and be like, oh, yeah, you threw back tear gas in 2014. That's all right. Um, actually, that picture, Skeeter was actually starting a lawsuit because that picture, been, the photographer made fame and made money off of it. And Skeeter was still living in the hood trying to take care of his kid. Typical. Freaking, freaking typical. Yeah. You know, like you said, if, if I feel like sometimes, you know, we laugh and say if they redid the movie. Um, of Ferguson, you know, Darren Seals would probably be in there for like 15 seconds yelling, looking like a crazy madman, and all of us would be queer black women um, by the time they do the remake. 
Yep. I mean, there was even there was even documentary made. I never watched it. I saw the trailer. It looked crazy, but it was called like Whose Streets or something. And they made that documentary. Uh, did you hear about it or see the documentary? I actually knew the person. Yeah. Um, you know, I tried to help him out. And uh, really, it, to me, it's really strange. And you know, to me, I just, uh, you know, I did a lot of work to try to help with the documentary. I gave a lot of interviews. And when the movie came out, it was completely different. You know, it, from the time he shot it in the first take of how he did it, and a couple kind of reenactments and kind of trailers and stuff came out. And then when the actual movie came out, a lot of us, our roles was reduced. Mm. And it became, it, you know, to other protests, a lot of protests, it became like a queer black woman love story. Yeah, they made that girl, Brittany Farrell, like the face of it. And yeah, Alexis uh, Templeton. Yeah, and that girl was on Twitter saying um, uh, black men are the utmost trash that they um she can't wait uh that's why she hates black men and um because of how Darren Seals was acting and and she uh wants to to drag Darren Seals. like she said some crazy um out of pocket stuff about Darren Seals and black men and how to trash and how she's 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 scared of them I'm like how are you how do you come up off a movement that uh is off the body of a dead black man and once you're out there out of there and you don't need them anymore you're talking about how you wish the men there or you know get dragged in the street and, and that's what that's what Darren Seals asked you know I said black men are trash and he said well, so Mike Brown was trash because cause, yeah. like and you know it's like oh you're trying to play this aha no it's this it's a legitimate question if black man trash Mike Brown was a young black man he was 18 or a child he was gonna grow up to be a black man he was gonna wait till he was 21 to hate him or like what does that mean and so I always question the movement when, you know, these, you know, not middle class Negroes, but Negroes who definitely want to live like white folk really take a hold of the movement. Because I know if Mike Brown was their little cousin with weed in his pocket, um, they wouldn't be friends with Mike Brown. If their uncle was Ergon, the you know, the brother at the corner still selling Lucy's, they probably wouldn't even say, hey, Uncle Erg. You know, Tamir Rice would have been that badass little cousin now wanting their house playing with their kids. And so we have built a movement or they have... They have built a movement around black people that they wouldn't even want to be around in real life and they choose not to do that probably in their own intimate family one of our co-hosts always jokes like that the neighborhoods with uh, black lives matter signs has more more black lives matter signs than black people a lot of the times you know it's like uh uh, Kenny always says that, but how how has the situation been on the ground since? Well, actually, three stages. Like you know, you're talking about the start of it when it uh, started popping off. Then how was it when you guys were coexisting kind of together during the protests when they showed up and were kind of crashing the protest alongside you? Was was things like copacetic at first, and then they kind of deteriorated? Like like were they, or were they trying to bogart it from the very beginning and take it over? Like at what point did things kind of go sour or was it more toward the end or after they left that i i think i think what happened was huh so i'm gonna start in the beginning when we went outside yeah, nobody really cared about none of it you know it was just we was out there for mike brown we was out there against the police we was out there against ferguson or we was out there against white supremacy or against you know racism that's really all that mattered it, it was other queer black women out there um you know uh pushing on the police throwing tear gas back being in the street, you know, they didn't get the cameras because they didn't fit kind of that narrative, right? They didn't look the part, right? You know, the hood sister, the hood sister uh, with the braids to the back and the gold fronts, talking about fuck the system, that's not appealing to mainstream media as, you know, the more uh, uh, polished black person. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that's how they kind of played it and chose it, uh, depending on what kind of, you know, not only what kind of black, but what kind of queer or LGBTQ black you were kind of also pushed you to the forefront. And so I think it became kind of like a class issue. Also about like, can you edify white people with your appearance? Um, and then do you fit into the tropes? At first, it was just black people out there. I think when they turn, when fundraising start coming into play, when people start talking about Soros checks and Black Lives Matter wants you to do this and we got money for you because you are this kind of black person. Um, I think everybody became something. I think a lot of people became some things that they never even thought about 
And I don't think black was ever at the forefront anymore. I mean, even the whole Black Lives Matter website pretty much lays it out pretty quick. They talk about everything, but... but Black men. Yeah, yeah. Even though, you know, it's crazy. It started getting well-known in the past couple of months. They actually scrapped all that from the website around the time of Joe Biden running. I, th- I thought that was pretty interesting. They quietly took all that off. But for years, up as recently as a couple of months ago, it was still there. It was like, uh, not usually not mentioning black men at all, or at some points being actively uh, hostile to them. Like, we have to de-emphasize black men. It was crazy right in open sight i don't know what happened that made them finally uh realize maybe this is hurting our um yeah got me money right you know black man gonna have to give to it and the black man click on the website twice and he see that he gonna feel some type of way um if if you black and you and your you know you and your uh wife or whatever for whatever reason have kids and all of that and that's your family unit. Based on them, they would call it a nuclear family, you know. And so I don't even know how we have. I don't even know what that is. I never heard it. I know white folk made that shit up somewhere in the back. Yeah. But they keep bringing that white folk ideology and philosophy. And jargon, yeah. They use a lot of jargon. And that's how you know who trained. You you know, they was, at, they was probably, not probably, but most of them was a part of the... Um, OSF, you know, George Soros network prior to the movement. They was a part of that neoliberal, uh, so-called liberal, so-called feminist movement prior to it. And so they just, they couldn't get in at Ferguson. They started to break in in Baltimore. And after that, it ain't been a black man or black family issue that they took up since. Well, like, how far were you able to get with them? Because I know in the beginning you were in the room, in the rooms with those guys and everything, right? Policy and strategy team from about October on, yeah. And then, um, what made you end up um falling out with them? Um, it wasn't really a fallout, you know. Um, it was some things that I, I that you know it was clear that they wasn't clear on and they weren't trying to push. And so, no matter what people think, you know, people you know say I'm extreme or radical or whatever. I am pragmatic in my approach. And so you can't convince enough people that the system is wrong just by screaming it. And a hashtag ain't going to do it. And so creating a policy platform is what we did. And we finished up in 2015, but they didn't really push it in that kind of way. They waited um, because it really became something inauthentic. It became like uh, D-Ray and them created their policy platform. So we had to redo ours and try to make it bigger and better. You know, it's like, I'm not here for that. This is not a dick swinging contest. Yeah. You know, people was fake falling and falling out with people. People was trying to figure out other people having money, who had this, can I get on? Uh, can you put me on an interview? And then it just became something that it was not. And then I would travel to the cities where these people were from. I would go to LA, I would go to Oakland. You know, I would go to Chicago. You know, I would pull up in Atlanta and see where they at and, and how they actually organizing the hood or organizing the masses of their people. And if it wasn't a college campus, they probably didn't have people moving out. And so it became a conflict of interest for me. So I just left, man. All of y'all, when you started out, you guys were just regular dudes in the hood who just had got fed up. But most of y'all weren't trained organizers or people who were really kind of in that life yet when Mike Brown popped off from what you described uh, on average. What do you think you were lacking in knowledge or technique that you know now that you wish you knew then that that you think would have made things um more effective or would have been able to help you guys resist being uh co-opted uh like what did you not know then and particularly what did they know that you didn't know then that you wish you knew um i think they knew media um if you look back to 2014 2015 and even to this day, you know, for the most part, I've done more CNN and, and mainstream media interviews, either remote or actually um, being, you know, flown out, of, you know, to New York and been in D.C., right? And, and, and been on that thing. And so I think the thing about it is I didn't really understand it. Um, I just thought I was talking to my people through a channel, through a TV. They understood it as a platform piece um, a little differently. So I would have I would have held tighter to my platform. Um, I wouldn't have just went deeper into grassroots organizer. I would have concentrated on that platform piece, but I also would have worked on um, funding um, as well. Uh, and I'm not saying I'm going to big white folk kind of funding. I'm saying cultivate those black funders early on um, so we could organize and sustain something. But I think three is probably the most important thing. I would have been more concentrating on how to collect and organize 
the masses of people. I think one thing, that, that's a big thing that they've done. Um, they have ability to move social media through organizing. They have ability to pick up black people who we activate. Um, they have ability to take those people and, and sit them down in rooms and have them sign up and put the t-shirt and the hoodie on the jersey and the Black Lives Matter joint on it. So I think that's the most important part because right now we're in a struggle of how to move the most amount of people we can toward a st- strategic goal. It's clear to me that Black Lives Matter does not care about mobilizing. They've never really organized mass protests. I um, mean, when you go to these cities, I was in Minneapolis, it wasn't Black Lives Matter. I've been in Atlanta, they w- that wasn't Black Lives Matter. I just left Louisville and that wasn't Black Lives Matter. Um, what we're saying is, is that they're getting the credit for it because they had a platform. Um, they're getting the money for it um, because it's the most visible media thing and they're getting the people from it because the people don't know who Black Lives Matter and what's Black Lives Matter. Yeah, something I'd add to that they're good at, good at, if I had to give a number four, is uh, marketing slash branding. Because they made that, they made that catchy phrase into something that everybody, like they didn't invent the phrase. Uh, that's not, that's not a lie to get spread. That, that, that phrase, someone else has mentioned it before on the internet, other places. But yeah, a black, a black, a black dude. And, uh, uh, but they were able to take that phrase, which again, they didn't invent and market it. The low, people know the low go people know and that marketing like you said makes people like you can't get rid of that phrase even if you wanted to and that and keeping that phrase around keeps them automatically around because people associate that phrase with them so i noticed in the news i used to correct people people would talk to me and i was somewhere and someone interviewed me and they're like um what do you think about these black lives matter protests and i'm like this is not a black lives matter protest uh but they call them all black lives matter protests because people say black lives matter at them all the time so there could be not a single Black Lives Matter organizer who started the protest. There could be not a single one who um, even knew about the protest or is at the protest from the organization. But as long as a protest happens, people are, are protesting police brutality. They're saying Black Lives Matter at it. It counts as a Black Lives Matter protest. And in people's minds, when they watch the news, when they watch the media, people who don't know, they think, man, these people are tearing it up, this organization. So I noticed when I was looking at the news, yes, everywhere. So when George Floyd happened, when Breonna Taylor happened, Uh, when Ahmaud Arbery happened, you saw all these news stories of people making these huge donations to Black Lives Matter. But meanwhile, Black Lives Matter, the three founders have been out of that space for a couple of years now. They all moved on to different things. They haven't even been, they weren't even in place and ready to mobilize when this happened because they all moved on to different hustles. But the movement, I mean, the name is on autopilot. They don't have to do anything anymore. Uh, People do the work for them by just chanting the, the slogan at the protest. That's it, bro. So, you know, I don't even chant this shit no more, bro. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I feel like I'm I'm I feel like I'm giving some fake stuff, um, uh, you know, some clout that they don't deserve, you know. I one credit is that I think early on it was um the thing about it was I, I think what happened was they intentionally saw that we wasn't media savvy, we wasn't coining a branding thing. Ferguson became a household name. You know, you probably you wouldn't find Ferguson on the map, um, but you knew that Ferguson existed because of our protests. You get to Baltimore, Baltimore was Baltimore. So I think they said, well, you can't call it a Ferguson movement, a Baltimore movement, right? Um, they start saying stuff like, this is not a moment, this is a movement, right? And I, to me, I felt like that was a good marketing scheme to prepare people um, to call a movement after an organization. Yeah. And I think they always had that, or not always, I think they came up with that and they thought like, damn, when we can interject it, we gonna interject it, right? Yeah, like, like I think the way those people naturally think they're always ready for the chance to uh, self-promote. Even if they don't know how they're going to self-promote yet, they're always uh, thinking and planning and, and agile. They're, they're like they're like ready to do it. But uh, something else I want to ask you is where you are now, how did you get to where you are now? Because, I mean, you kind of figure out the weak spots that you had that you weren't trained in and stuff. So what do you do about that? Because now you have a new organization and I'm, I'm curious how you go from there to here and and what you had to do to kind of compensate for those uh, deficiencies and blind spots you had before? Well, I mean, now I kind of, you know, my concentration, like you said, is is a new organization. Um, IBFA, the International Black Freedom Alliance. 
Uh, we kind of concentrate on a couple things. We want to uh, make it clear whatever arguments you're making of how we get free. Uh, we kind of attack it from there. So if you believe that we can vote ourselves free, uh, you sh- you come over here and we allow you space. That I don't believe that we can just vote ourselves free. I think there's a very limited strategy um, to voting. But if you think that that's, that's how we get free, we give you space and other organizers who worked on that um, way beyond my years. Um, and we allow you to do that. If you believe that black economics, right? Black people put our money together, spending with each other, creating marketplaces where we spend money with each other. Um, and instead of like baby showers, we do business showers and we try to uplift our, our, our money and circulate it. And that's how we gain power. We allow space for that. And if you believe that we need a global movement where black people either use Africa um, as a place to build up, uh, you know, global power or that we need a mass exodus or separation plan to go back to Africa, we allot you that space. And so I think one thing is, is that instead of being agile with media and and those kind of things, we're agile with our ability to organize multiple tiers and multiple thoughts of black people in one unified way. I think that's one thing. We didn't have an ideology and a philosophy concretely in Ferguson. So we give you that. So one point is the unity. The other part is the politicization of it. And I think we always, we go around the country, um, be it me or uh, Dr. Travis or Q or Balmani or, you know, Jamila, whoever, we go around the country trying to prepare other people for that moment, for your Ferguson moment, because we've all been through that Ferguson moment. And so it may not mean that you're going to join the organization or join the movement, right? But if you could do your part, right, that looks like in, in ways that we want it or ways that we see that black people get free and we have done our job. And so uh, elaborate to me uh, who some of those names are and how you guys um, came together and what your different experiences are, because I, I heard you mention um, Bamani, Jamila and some other people. Yeah. So, I mean, um, in 20, uh, 2016, I had opportunity to go to uh, a Pan-African conference, um, Pan-Africanism today. You know, we had about 30 countries from around the continent of Africa, um, along with black people from the diaspora, come and meet, really. And um, in 2016 in Zambia, it was historic. We had our brothers and sisters from the 1970 Pan-African Conference. And so we had elders kind of leading the way. We have these discussions and we had these report backs around what's going on, where we are. And from there, um, one of our elders said, you know, we have to create a pan-African movement. And so, he, you know, he challenged us and the older black woman, African woman challenged us to, to create a movement. Some, Most of us did not take up the challenge, but me, another brother named Lucy in South Africa was a part of a labor union there. He took on the challenge. Uh, when I came back, Mama Julia, she's an elder here in St. Louis. Mama Julia Davis, she's done great work. Um, she's one of the core members. Uh, another brother, really through Facebook, he was a part of Black Lives Matter. Um, Dr. Travis Harris, he was our political education director. He actually left his Black Lives Matter chapter to join the organization. That's great. So so, so through people like that, you started getting some of the political education you might have been lacking uh, when you first started. You, you, you lack that wisdom, you know, Mama Julia, that can tell you how it was back in the day um you know she kind of more grassroots straight to it and so she's our director of black power so you know we always laugh and say her job is to make sure everything we do is bliggity black tastic <laughs> and she kind of do that thing because she's been you know pro-black and that kind of black um for a long time now you guys would you consider yourself a pan-african organization as your primary mission or is that just one of the things that defines you like like so we don't really we don't really game bang on the set you know, uh, you can be a black nationalist, you can be Rastafarian, uh, you can be Pan-African, uh, you can be a feminist, a womanist. Uh, we don't care if you pro-black in your politic, all those other things uh, will grow or, or, you know, fall to the side. I'm a Pan-African, others are Pan-African, um, but we also have black nationalists. We have black people who are separatists. Um, we have black people who believe that we can create a nation here. There's some other black people believe that group economics and polynomics like uh, Boyce Watkins and Dr. Claude Anderson is the way. So we don't really gangbang on that. You know, we just care about black people being in unison. Um, it don't have to look uniform. It just has to be unified. Uh, for one goal, and that's for black freedom. So it doesn't have to be uniform. It just has to be unified. You can be a stripper and join IBFA. You know, you can be a dope boy and join it. You can be a scammer and join it. Uh, you can be a professor and join it. You can be a doctor and join it. 
you could be a nurse and join it. You could be a teacher or you could be, uh, you know, poorly or not even educated and worry about any kind of institutional education. You can join it while you're in prison if you hear this podcast. Uh, we have a plan and a strategy for every kind of organizing. So uh, we don't we don't make no kind of none of that. You know, if you go to our website, we, we say all black lives and all black people and all black bodies are welcome. And our um, our application is in English, it's in French, it's in Portuguese, um, and it's in Spanish. Um, and if it's in, it's in Arabic, if you need that as well. So we don't really, we're not really gangbanging on the set, bro. We just want black people to come together in mass and create the largest black movement in the history of black people. Because uh, we believe that we can be free in our lifetime. The IBFA.org is the website for people who are curious. Let me ask you, what are things that people say someone's listened to this and they're like, you know, I like the cut of this man's jib, this guy. I like what he's talking about. I want to help out. Like, what are some of the things that people can do, whether if they're close by and they can have a physical body uh, that they can offer? What can they do if they're far away? What can they do? Like, like what are things people um, who want a call to action uh, can do to help you and your organization out? Well, first thing is uh, go to the website, um, go to the IBFA.org, um, check us out, um, read some of our things, um, and then you do an application. From there, our membership uh, officer uh, will call you, um, our coordinators will call you, and you will get a phone call and we do an interview, Skype, Zoom, or whatever, phone call, however you want to do it, no matter where you are. You know, we have members in Australia, Africa, uh, Caribbean, you know, uh, Trinidad, U.S., U.K., it don't matter. Somebody will call you right when you need a call phone call and so from there we will say a couple things you know if you want to if you want to start something you want to try to get into something you go into our political education course because it's mandatory um, to represent the organization and organizing for you. You know, you can be a member and do your thing, but we want more organizers and advocates. And so if you're in a city by yourself, uh, you sign up for what you believe in, voting or community organizing or do programs. Uh, we do a books and breakfast program like the Black Panthers, feed people, clothe people, house people, whatever you want to do. Um, or you might be in a place like St. Louis or Chicago or Alabama somewhere or South Africa, Zambia, where you have members already there and you can be a part of a chapter or you might be with your crew. Uh, we had a Black Lives Matter chapter leave Black Lives Matter and start a whole chapter here uh, with the IBFA. Uh, they were disgruntled. There was no resources and there was no uh, guiders. And so uh, you can bring your whole crew over here and start your own chapter or branch if you're on a college campus. Uh, you'll get an organizer to walk you through that way with, you know, years of experience. It'll be me or Dr. Travis or Jamila or Mama June, you know. Or you might get somebody from our elders' council. So we have literal Black Panthers and people from the Black Liberation Army, former prisoners of, you know, what we call war, political prisoners and elders and also young people like myself, or not some young people no more. Because <laughs> we kind of like movement OGs to kind of walk you through. And so you can become an organizer. That's on the website. You can start a chapter in your hood or your city or your barrio or your favela or your shanty town. Um, you can start a, a branch on your campus um, or you can just be a solo dolo and put in this work and be a part of a working group and work on reparations or whatever else you want to work on. We got work. Um, okay, be a nice. social media activist and you put up the videos and do the propaganda if you do editing graphics. Uh, we have built out 278 positions that we we believe that needs to be filled. And so that's the way we work. We, we scale it from small all the way up to the minute details. So we're just waiting on the people. More, we're more the merrier. I wanted to ask, right, there's some people who I think are well-intentioned. They just go for what's the most obvious name because if you have no clue where to get started and you see all this stuff going on in the news and whatever, you might be like, I really want to do something. I don't know what to do. The first thing you're probably going to go for is Black Lives Matter because that's the name that gets shouted, shouted the most. Now, some people are going to think, okay... This guy is probably just a hater. He probably wants the attention they got. You know, he's probably mad that he's not, because uh, some people think that way. They're like, oh, he's probably mad he's not being invited to the Academy Awards like that Black Lives Matter girl was to present and taking pictures with uh, Jane Fonda or whatever. Yeah, like, I, I, yeah, I like yeah, I like arugula too. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, so like, what do you think is important for people who are well-intentioned and want to help? Uh, and believe that BLM is the organization uh, to get real grassroots work done. What do you think is, is the most important thing for them to know, the founders and the organization based on your experiences with them? And also I would throw in, you know, for 
people who think that it's about some kind of sour grapes? So, uh, I mean, you can believe whatever you want to believe about me, and you can believe whatever you believe about the founders. Um, all of it could be true. None of it could be true. Um, or somewhere in between. Um, if you believe that Black Lives Matter is the way, um, we believe in Black people being organized and being a part of an organization. So I ask you to uh, go to blacklivesmatter.com and go join uh, their organization today. Um, and I wish you well over there. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a lot of Black organizations. Yeah, I don't, you know, I would love everybody to be a part of our organization. But uh, you got the Dream Defenders in Florida. Uh, you have organizations all over this country. You got Palm, the Pat African um, Liberation Movement in the D.C. DMV area. That's other organizations to join. We want you to join. Um, but if you go over there uh, to Black Lives Matter and you disgruntle and it don't work out, and some of the things that I said on this podcast is true in 2020 or 2022 or whenever your great awakening is, um, then we'll still be here. We'll still be waiting on you. Um, and then we're going to put all of that into motion um, that you think. And so all we ask for you to do, you know, join that organization or join both. Um, we don't gang bang on the set. Like I said, you can be a part of our organization and Black Lives Matter. We have people that uh, was a part of chapters and all of that. Um, most of them decide to just stop doing that over there and, and, and do more work over here. I, you know, I think time will tell. Um, and I think, you know, you on social media or just a podcast or reading, you know, Google, you know, Googling me is whatever. Uh, being in the trenches with me uh, from St. Louis or Ferguson, Standing Rock to Minneapolis to South Africa, whatever you're going to be. Uh, I think the work can speak for itself. Uh, but I need you in the trenches so you can see in the Philly. Something that I've kind of noticed, right? Um, it kind of got a second life with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. But even then, I still think pie and the getting is not as good as it used to be. One thing I noticed is for like people who are kind of opportunists or climbers or 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 grifters, um, it's not as good as it used to be. Like 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 there was a moment when being about Black Lives was really trendy and everybody was doing it, but. Right Right before George Floyd, the three founders all kind of moved on. One of them became an editor at Ms. Magazine and was focusing on feminism. The other one did the Future Foundation. The other one was writing memoirs and stuff. And D. Ray had a podcast. And on, on his podcast, he was he was doing everything. He went from running to mayor to becoming a podcaster to teaching about white privilege. Like like he kind of moved on for for a hot second. I think a lot of people tried to re-enter the space after um, George Floyd. But even then, there's not as as many places for everyone to wet their beak as before this is my impression you can tell me if i'm wrong i wanted to know like what you kind of see as the fallout on on that side of it uh if you if you feel like these people have moved on if you think that they're still trying to take up space and air and in black liberation movements if you think that they've that everything's kind of moved on past them and they're irrelevant i'm, I'm curious how you feel about all of that you know um I don't really see them influencing much of anything anymore. I, I think the entities, I think, so like the D-Ray, you know, what we call the devil in the blue vest. And I think what he, uh, what him and the other White House Negroes have uh, created was something, it wasn't sustainable, you know, um, telling people how many people die or, you know, going through the policies and having a website contest. Um, a lot of people woke up to that too because I've I realized uh, a lot of people were against them that I think two or three years ago would have eaten it up. They would have ate, you know, another website. And so it's like, yay. Yeah. And it's like, well, now what do I do outside of that? And they don't have a strategy um, and they're not going to implement it, meaning you're not going to see them in the street. They may tell you it goes outside, and, you know, uh, but they're not going to be there. I remember I never saw, I saw D-Ray probably twice in my entire life. I remember seeing him post pictures at the protest while I was there of a space that I'm currently in and I don't see. Like, where are you? You know, wow. only to see, you know, either to see drop somebody off or hear about them or somebody send me a picture like, oh, he at the Marriott or, you know, somebody then sent him a picture from there. And so like all that's unsustainable. All that's unsustainable. Websites that don't really move people. So now what you're seeing is more people want to be active. They want to be a part of something. They don't really know what it is. I think like you said, like the website game is gone. 
right? The words yeah. of Black Lives Matter on black men or, you know, shit. What the fuck do they do with the money? Uh, yeah, I, f- I feel like uh, because Black Lives Matter was so big and prominent, even though the game shrunk, they were able to survive the shrinking. But a lot of the people who, you know, weren't able to get as big as Black Lives Matter have not been able to kind of survive survive the contraction. But it's, it, it's crazy. Like what you were just saying, there's no accountability for the money that they get. It's all invisible. And the one thing that happened, one of them, the managing director, I think her name is Kaylee Scales. She did something on, on Reddit called the Ask Me Anything. And a lot of people on the Reddit kept asking, uh, what happens to all your money? Where does it go? You guys are getting you guys have gotten millions just since George George Floyd like tens of millions based on news articles you know and and celebrities like like John Cena gave him just just a whole bunch of million and, and different people and after that happened uh they, they, uh she couldn't answer anything they gave a press release saying hey we just announced we're giving uh a couple million dollars to our local uh chapters you know and different local chapters can apply and they'll get some of the money. And that's still not a real program for the streets or the people. That's just kind of giving a little bit of hush money as in as in you're making a press release. But that money that they gave away is a fraction of what they got. It, it, it's like a pittance. It's just um, for show. And and I think that's the, 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 the point of it. It's, 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 I don't know, man. You know, I, I live in, you know, I live in the hood. So, you know, there's no way I could be walking around with a press clip and saying, I got a million dollar book deal. You know, I would probably, me and my family would probably be robbed tomorrow. Um, you know, I come home, it wouldn't be a, a TV or nothing in here, you know. <laughs> and I think that's the difference when you live in somewhere else and you, your work don't mean that you're on the ground level or the grassroots level, then you don't have that kind of risk. And I'm not saying go rob people. What I'm saying is if you're amongst the people and the people are hungry, you only got two decisions, be the people that feed them or get eight. And I think that's the, 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 the problem, like where we are in the movement, you know. Uh, Styles P, he asked. You know, I find it to be interesting that really the largest black civil rights movement of the 21st century right now is uh, going on Reddit. You know, they could be on the New York Times. Yep. Wesley Lowry. Um, I see how they, you know, D-Ray and them attack Sean King for raising money. But no one, no one's doing that for Black Lives Matter, and I wonder why. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everyone takes it for granted that they're beyond questioning. So they question Sean King all day. They question X person, Y person. But it's taken as a given that you don't question Black Lives Matter. But they've raised way more money. They have no accountability. They're they're they don't do no programs. You know, when we did the books and breakfast, giving out free black books and free breakfast to people, and we did that in multiple cities across the country. They asked us why we needed money for that. You know, or or oh, that's not revolutionary work. They don't feed, you know, where does Black Lives Matter feed people? Where do they house people? Do they have gardens? Do they have acres of land to go heal or retreats for Oregon? I don't see any of those things with, you know, estimated $50 million that they raised since the George Floyd protest. You would think that the black infrastructure for a movement uh, would be amazing. Um, But if you go to the hoods across the country um, or even the places across the world where Black Lives Matter say they have a chapter or someplace, uh, you'll see people in bad conditions or worse off than they were before the protest. That estimated $50 million, I want to point out, I think that was just in the month of, like, by June. It wasn't even, I mean, up, up, yeah, there ain't no update. Like, that's what people counted, I think, themselves by looking at the big donations that came from big stars like um, BTS, that Korean band and um john cena so that's that's the big numbers that people got from the news articles and they're able to surmise in june 50 million but if you add in all the smaller ones and plus corporations and all the little ones that kind of didn't make the news i'm sure it's more than i wouldn't be surprised if it's over like 100 million but what's interesting is when they got that grief on the reddit and she couldn't answer a lot of people were getting mad because first off i think they, they thought it was still 2016 or 2014 when people just kind of weren't getting sad so they're not 6.5 million out of like possibly over 100 million that's not really much at all but they said you're gonna get it in multi-year grants of up to 500,000 so they're not even gonna give it all at once this spread this stretching that 6.5 million over five years uh so it might only be 1.5 million out of that 100 million that first year so like where's all that money going who's getting paid what they're not a non-profit so they don't have to like reveal the taxes like that it's um it's 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 
to me, it's an interesting story. You would think one investigative reporter uh, worth the salt would at least be curious and try it. But I guess I think they're so. Hmm? I, I think I think white supremacy agrees that Black Lives Matter is not going to get black people free. Um, I think they told the corporate media to not attack them in the ways. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I agree. I agree. And I think on the micro, I think on the micro level, the individuals probably don't want to look like the bad guy. And so it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's an open secret, you know, uh, this, this is what it is. And you just don't bat an eyelash at it. And that's, you know, that's unfortunate. You know, uh, I think what happens is, is that our people become confused, though, because, you know, we, you know, we black people, man, we very, uh. We very fragile when it comes to the move. Yeah. You know, somebody asks you for $5. We ask supporters, you know, uh, give 5 to $20. You know, people be like, why are you asking us to give us money? Like, what you need it for? And it's like, we do this, this, and that, right? And even then, they be like, what do you mean? Like, you need, you, you know, you need $3 a gallon for gas? It's like, like, yeah. You know, it's like, where we are is where we are. We're not asking for millions of dollars, right? But then you have these other entities that's allowed to do that thing, um, and they don't do half or even a quarter of the work. And so I think, you know, we in that point, like you said, is people are starting to get confused. People are starting to ask questions. They're starting to get angry. Um, we just try to bring clarity, um, not to attack people, just bring clarity to where we want to go as a people. Now, I have like two last questions. One is, it's an election year. What are you guys doing, if anything, regarding um, electoral politics? And what are your feelings about electoral politics in general in the overall thing for Black for black movements because and black liberation because right now there's a lot of what i call um voteps like black people who just come out and want to push everyone to vote like it's going to solve solve everything and the ancestors want you to vote every four years that's all they're talking about and then there's some people go the opposite extreme and they're like um voting i don't want to do anything with voting it's not uh gonna accomplish anything and i was wondering where in that spectrum do you lie and how do you think it fits into everything overall uh the electoral politics i I think places where in which black people can have great influence um over controlling the resources and creating the conditions for black people to get themselves free. Um, I think people should concentrate on uh, voting there. Um, And when we have a deal or a promise or a contract in place, um, then we should vote. As far as right now, there's no candidate that I see um, that's worth voting for. Uh, You know, the time clock is not up, but, you know, it's some things uh, I would have thought Ice Cube because, you know, he created a contract. It's some things that I heard Diddy talk about. Um, It's some things that I heard Black Lives Matter talk about. It's some things I heard a lot of people talk about. Um, But a lot of those things are missing key elements. Black people um, were promised 40 acres in a mule. Um, No one is talking about that. Uh, We have never been the majority of any president's cabinet. No one is asking for that from Biden or Trump. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're happy with that one. They, they're happy with a one or a four. Um, in the history of America, we've never had 10. And so what I'm saying is, 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 is those are the things, if you ask for, if you're looking for something, those are the things we're talking. Black people should be receiving anywhere from 30 to 50 percent of the small business loans in the United States of America. Um, I think Cal Berkeley receives more uh, research grant money than uh, all the HBCUs combined. Um, and so those are the places that I really think that people are not being strategic and thinking about um, or not even asking for, be it a Diddy or Ice Cube, be it grassroots organizers, be it elders. I think that we have not formulated our own agenda. And so what we have done is that we conceded this election. We tell the people, if you feel like voting, voting. If you don't, you don't. Um, but no matter what happens, we have work to do beyond that. But we are creating um, what we call in a justice ballot, a framework where in which we're going have our own black agenda um, going into 2022 and 2024. Um, we're going to put an end to this voting question. Either we can get exactly what we deserve through this ballot box or fuck voting for the rest of our lives and we might need to go somewhere. How about local How about local politics? Um, local politics, we do great. Um, so, you know, we run political campaigns in black cities. Um, Q in Alabama, he just ran for mayor in Pritchard, Alabama. Um, if you remember a sister named Shakisha Clements who was beat up and assaulted um, and sexually assaulted in the Waffle House in Alabama. Um, yeah. We assisted with her running for campaign. We have a Ferguson protester who is uh, 
and um, who's the youngest elected official in the history of St. Louis as the Board of Aldermen. Um, we run candidates, we groom candidates, we do all those things in back black districts. Just, so, so, we just we just be strategic on even putting our money and our energy into it. And it's mainly the national level that you feel like you're kind of opting out of right now. But you guys are running people locally. Majority of the state levels are the same. Most states are Republican or white supremacists, be it Missouri or Kentucky or wherever. And so even thinking about a governorship would be far out without an ass directly for whatever the governor is. Um, that's not enough votes probably outside of Louisiana, Mississippi, um, or Georgia even to, to even care about making a move on the state level. You might get some, you know, of course, you're going to get some state reps. Cori Bush just ran for Ferguson protester. She just, she's a member of Congress going into next year. Um, there are ways in which that you can flip these seats and, and turn them into some more progressive or more pro-black. Um, but for the vast majority of these seats across the nation, uh, we should be concentrating less on voting, more on the agenda. And really, what are we going to do if we ever get the conditions? I think if we're going to talk about Black Lives Matter, we should have, at this point, we should have some cities where Black Lives Matter. We should have some counties where Black Lives Matter. Um, I'm not seeing that political strategy from the movement, from the organization, or even from the grassroots, or even these political so-called experts. So this, this is my last question, right, about going forward. I want to know what you think the immediate future, like the next four, forget the next four years, second like the next two years, right? Regardless of who wins, what do you th- see happening as, as far as the movement, the movement space? Do you think um, for the next two years, the people who've made their name online with hashtag activism are going to stay, maintain their dominance? Do you think that their moment has kind of gone? Do you think they'll be able to do the kind of things they used to um, do? Because like for me personally, just looking from where I am far away, I feel like just based on like the pushback to the Reddit or things, for, for example, um, uh, D-Ray, uh, I don't know if you know this guy. I, I think on his Facebook, his name was Michael Hassel, I think. Uh, D-Ray went to back to Ferguson to try to promote his book and that guy ran it, ran him out. But I found out later that wasn't even the only place he was ran out. He was ran out of several places he tried to do book signing. There was more places besides. Um, did, did you know anything about the the one in uh, Ferguson as far as like people talking about it? He lived in the district. We all we he lived in the district where I ran the uh, Ferguson protester to be the alderman. So uh, we friends, all of that. So I, you know, we, uh, you know, to tell the D. Seals story. You know, uh, D. Ray was tweeting some things that were inaccurate. He was, you know, he was doing the ambiguous, we, we did this, we did that when he wasn't there. And so, you know, they had an exchange and uh, D-Ray is banned from Ferguson. So he knew that when he came. And so he came back in 2014, I remember. Um, He was, you know, saying, you know, whatever, just being smart mouthed and, uh, you know, shout out to DC, you know, may he rest in power. He, uh, you know, you know, he slapped him and, 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 and roughed him up and told him to get up out of here. And so he left. And so he knew he was banned before he even came back. And so Mike Hassel had to keep that on. And so we we all know and D-Ray know wherever he pulls up, we we confront that and we run him up out of town. And I think most cities should be on that. You know, if, if, if that's how you feel about somebody, if you feel like this person is dangerous to your movement or stifling what y'all are trying to do, I believe that that should be the way. You, you should communicate that he banned. And so we all know that he banned. Kind of like the Black Panther Party. You yeah. put out the newsletter, you own it, you can't come back. Um, but you got you got to confront the bullshit, man, with something a little stronger and the hashtag ain't going to be it. Yeah, yeah. And there was another city or two where that happened. And, and to me, it's crazy that he can be not welcome the place that he supposedly uh, saved in the eyes of white liberals. And, you know, they still act like this is someone uh, to listen to. But with incidents like that and and and, and white people see even, even white people who want to just have a plausible front person can kind of see like this guy is too lacking credibility now for us to even even use as a as a as a decoy i want to know what you think about what's going to happen in the next two years given what we've seen unraveling in the in that space you know um i think so we have to address the election yeah um, i think a lot of black lives matter people are going to get some money some more money or a little hit of money leading into this election cycle um i don't think it's going to work and I, or I, I really don't think it's going to matter I don't I don't know if Trump is going to actually win through the electorate or not. Um, But if Trump loses, let's say if Trump wins, if Trump wins, 
Um, I think he's done enough damage to really uh, uh, hurt people. I think it's going to hurt the movement if Trump loses, though. I think a lot of this rage, the so-called rage, will dissipate. Um, but I think the masses of black people will still be angry, and I think they're searching for something. And my hope is that we, as an organization, can be a part of creating a solid movement where not, you know, hundreds of thousands, but tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of us are unified in a way that we create our own movement. And I think, you know, it's going to look like back to the future. It's going to look like something from the past, a remix for right now. And so I think we have to start a Garvey kind of movement. Um, I think it has to be tech savvy and social media savvy. I think it has to live in the air, as, but not as strong as it lives on the ground. Um, I think it has to resonate with people not in the U, not just in the U.S., but in the U.K. and in Africa and all over. Um, and I think it has to be funded by us. You know, I think it has to be tens of thousands of people putting five, tens and twenties into a pot and seeing houses go up, seeing banks created, seeing gardens and people being fed and seeing programs and education where people can do stuff. And I also think that we, we would garner a couple rappers, a couple of entertainers, um, a couple to do Negroes to, to fund some of these things. You know, like I said in the beginning, you know, we've been talking to the TIs and the, and the Rock Nations and all those things. Um, my hope is that we're, you know, we're pushing them and moving them to actually fund a movement. Yeah, I hope that works. For real. Not fund nonprofits, um, not fund a 501c3, fund a movement um, that might have tax deductible way for you to send in money, but you clear that you funding black freedom when you put your dollars in. It ain't, you know, it ain't slush fund. We ain't putting nobody in Bentley trucks or, 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 or buying dresses for the Academy Awards. We trying to affect the everyday common people. The one, the one thing I will say and I hope this ends up being true. I feel like I'm not saying that they won't be able to ever do it, but I feel like enough people have had their eyes open or just seen like a lot of the fuckery that I think it would be much harder for people like that, even if not specifically them, but even the next wave of protest crashers to get away with what they did. I hope I hope I'm not being optimistic, and you know I hope I'm right, but I do think it's gonna be harder for the next wave to to get to get away with it. I think I think they just set the conditions for for black leadership and black people to actually not just put your money in or put a hashtag in, but actually join a movement. And I think the, the you know, the sadness you're going to feel when you get disappointed when you find out uh, that there's no wizard behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it's going to move people to actually join a movement and actually, uh, uh, you know, we had this talk about not just being conscious. It's three levels. Some people are conscious and then some people are woke, right? And then some people are active. And I think we need more people who are active with their consciousness and their wokeness. We just got a lot of woke people walking around and we got a lot of conscious people holding on to their unks and dashikis, um, feeling like that's going to be something. But I can tell you in Ferguson, when that, when, when that tear gas was on the street, I didn't see too many unks and dashikis. I saw a lot of gold teeth um, and a lot of weed in her. Yeah. Um, thanks so much, Tori. Um, any parting thoughts, shout outs, uh, plugs you want to give before you go? Shout out to the members. Um, shout out to Vusi in South Africa. Shout out to you know our people in Australia. Uh, shout out to the MST, the landless uh, peasants, the landless workers moving in Brazil. Shout out to the people in Venezuela, Cuba, Belize, Panama, and the Chocolate District. You know, I love black people. I love y'all and free all the p- political prisoners and free me awesome all right man be good you too peace yes <laughs>